Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Before she began making her own work, Suzanne Jackson ran a gallery and worked at a perfume counter, but knew where she was headed. I didn't know that artists were separated by gender or color when I came. I just knew I was going to be an artist. I'm Virginia Prescott. Today on Second Thought sits down with the collage artist pulling together parts of her 50-year career for a retrospective in Savannah. And before Pose or RuPaul's Drag Race made counterculture entertainment mainstream, Deandra Peak sparkled on Atlanta Public Access TV. This was when RuPaul was kind of famous in Atlanta, and of course he was affiliated with our show. I would clip out little bits from the paper and say, here's my friend RuPaul, look, he's going to be famous, look, he's going to be famous. Deandra shows are now being archived by Emory University. We'll talk to the man behind the wigs about his long career behind the camera at GPB. Plus sisters and musicians, Lily and Madeline, all coming up. First, the news. Vision of a heartbreak coming true. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. Former special counsel Robert Mueller has agreed to testify in public before Congress about the Russia investigation. As NPR's Ryan Lucas reports, Mueller agreed to testify pursuant to congressional subpoenas. The subpoenas were issued by the House Judiciary and Intelligence Committees. The committee chairman, Jerry Nadler and Adam Schiff, say Mueller has agreed to appear in open session on July 17th. Democrats have been eager to get Mueller to testify before the cameras about the investigation. Mueller, on the other hand, has been reluctant to do so. He said last month that he did not want to testify. He said his 448-page report is his testimony and that he would not provide any information beyond what's in it. Schiff and Nadler acknowledge Mueller's reluctance, but they say the American public wants to hear directly from him about the investigation, what it discovered about Russia's interference, as well as possible obstruction of justice by the president. Ryan Lucas, NPR News, Washington. The Defense Department says two American troops were killed in Afghanistan today. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, traveling in India, expressed his condolences to the troops' families. He says the troops' deaths underscore a point about the U.S. presence in Afghanistan. I think what you'll see is a continued push uh, by the United States to achieve the reconciliation uh, and the reduction in risk that the president set out as the mission set for Uh, for the State Department and for the United States government. The Defense Department did not say where in Afghanistan the troops were killed or how they died. They have not yet been identified. Tonight, 10 Democratic presidential candidates will take the stage for the party's first set of primary debates. As NPR's Danielle Kurtzleben reports, health care is one area where moderators might have to pin candidates down on specifics. Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All plan has played a huge role in setting the terms of the health care conversation. That plan is a single-payer plan. It would create a government-run insurance program financed by taxpayers. Polls have shown that Democrats like the idea, but also that lots of voters don't understand exactly what it means. Many don't realize, for example, that it would virtually eliminate private insurance. So one important question is whether candidates would be okay with that kind of dramatic step. Some candidates have said they prefer another plan, like a public option, to Medicare for All, which could create some conflicts on stage. 
Danielle Kurtzleben, NPR News. The House has passed a $4.5 billion package that provides humanitarian relief for migrants who are at the southern U.S. border. This includes requirements for federal agencies to meet standards to care for migrants in temporary shelters. It also limits how long unaccompanied minors can stay in the shelters. The U.S. Senate is expected to take up a different version of the bill this week, and both chambers would need to work out their differences. You're listening to NPR News from Washington. San Francisco officials have voted to ban the sale and distribution of e-cigarettes. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors says e-cigarette makers must first receive approval from the Food and Drug Administration. The city is the corporate home of Juul Labs, the biggest producer of e-cigarettes in the U.S. Juul says the San Francisco ban will cause problems for the city and create a thriving black market. Business leaders and Arab envoys are in Bahrain to discuss the White House peace proposal to invest billions of dollars in the Palestinian territories. But the U.S. has not spelled out how the plan will be funded, as NPR's Daniel Estrin reports from Jerusalem. The heads of the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, and the FIFA Soccer Federation are among those speaking in a series of panels the White House has organized in Bahrain. They're complimentary about the plan and outlining major concerns about the Palestinian economy, like a booming young population with no jobs. But no delegates are pledging money, and it's unclear how the U.S. intends to fund the proposal. Jared Kushner, President Trump's advisor who drafted the plan, said it's a vision for what could be possible if a political solution were found to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Meanwhile, in New York yesterday, countries pledged more than $110 million for U.N. services to Palestinian refugees after the U.S. cut its funding to that cause. Daniel Estrin, NPR News, Jerusalem. It's still hot in Europe and temperatures are set to soar. There have been triple-digit readings in parts of Spain, France and Germany. French officials have set up cooling areas for people to seek relief. I'm Corva Coleman, NPR News. Support for NPR comes from the ECMC Foundation, celebrating five years of philanthropy and supporting efforts to improve post-secondary education for underserved students. Learn more at ecmcfoundation.org and the listeners who support this NPR station. From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. Suzanne Jackson has lived a creative life. She's known for her visual art, but is also a poet, dancer, writer, radio host, and has a master's in theatrical set design from Yale. Telfair Museums in Savannah is mounting a 50-year retrospective of this Renaissance woman called Suzanne Jackson, five decades beginning this Friday. If you're near the coast, you can meet Suzanne and view her work at the Jepson Center tomorrow. She joins me now from GBB Savannah to talk about her first full career retrospective. Hello, Suzanne. Good morning. How are you? Very well. Happy to speak with you. And what a career you've had. You and your curator, Rachel Reese, have been collecting and preparing for the show for, I guess, about two and a half years. What's it like to revisit work way back from the beginning of your career? It's been quite wonderful because, uh, first of all, Rachel Reese was the new uh, contemporary a curator at the Telfair, and she's one of the first to actually visit studios of artists in the Savannah area and actually all around the state of Georgia. And it's really helped to uh, energize many of the artists in the city. So my retrospective, as far as I'm concerned, is uh, an exhibition showing my work and life work uh, for 
almost 60 years of my life, but for me it also is a way for the artist in Savannah to be recognized. Um, it's, you know, when you're as an artist, I think it's really important to share uh, what you do with other artists and with the public. Um, and also, uh, Rachel assembled uh, three most incredible interns last summer. Uh, Treasure Flavors from Spelman College, who's a curatorial uh, intern, and uh, Donna Malaver from uh, Parsons, who is a photography student, and Anna Landau-Smith received her MFA in art history. So these three interns dug into all of my records and things that I'd, you know, saved in the studio and pulled up all kinds of photos, family photos and writings, and even went through some of my journals um, to look through and find uh, references. One of the important things about this that they've all worked really hard for, and I have also three um, young African-American art historians who are writing for the catalog, and we have an introduction by Betty Saar, who's a well-known artist. Yes, and a great longtime artist. friend. Mm-hmm. So Betty has written the introduction for the catalog. Uh, one of the things that we've tried to do is to straighten out many of the misconceptions or the from one journal to the next things are written that are just a little bit off, and then people tend to to copy those mistakes. Well, well let, me, even, let me stop you there, because, you know, yeah. that's the thing. When you're looking at a whole life retrospective, there's one thing. There's the record of the work, the official record, yes. and then there's your memory and your experience of that. And I'd love that's to know right. a little bit about that, because, you know, you're known as a collage artist. You do these sort of paintings. You do these kind of of-the-moment looking at things, putting them together. But let's let's talk a little bit about the collage of your life, if you will. All right. But my work is not collage. This is well, good. Good. Tell me. Tell me. That's part of the corrections because Mm -hmm. my I'm not a collage artist. I my work is I'm a painter, and I work. I've worked with acrylic paint since the beginning, since the early '60s when acrylic was being introduced, and throughout those years, acrylic paint has also developed as the mediums have. Uh, been developed by the paint companies, the you know the best paint companies. So I've experimented uh, with papers on canvas, for, starting first on canvas when there was gesso only as a medium to prime the uh, canvas. But I was also using the whites of the gessos, uh, experimenting with the variations of kinds of whites. My work over the uh, years moving from place to place and having supplies or not having supplies, and then finally having a really good studio space in Savannah, I've been able to experiment with layering. My work is always layered almost in the sense of um, old master's technique of oil painting layering, but also in the watercolor uh, medium of uh, layering, layering washes and uh, and layers of paint. So I work that way in acrylic. And the works are layers of paint on top of one another. And now the works, the newest works, are actually um, using acrylic paint as the surface. So paint on paint, which is not collage. It's not the same. My work is um, kind of assembled work uh, in the sense of uh, layering uh, it started with layering papers and then layering, adding fabrics. I also uh, try not to dispose of paint 
uh, down the drain. So mm. I, I save all the residue and I pull up even the paint from my hands. I put back into the paintings for texture. So the works that are that I've been known for, actually people have been showing the same works for that are 40 years old and the newest works that uh, and also in 2019, I worked up to the moment of our installing the <laughs> exhibition, are uh, really going to surprise people because they've been looking in publications of my work uh, for all these years of uh, work from the past. Yes, yeah, so, so that's the thing. When you're looking at a large career retrospective, obviously things evolve. Your life evolves, your sense of self evolves, your visions of the world evolve. I want to let listeners know that I'm speaking with Suzanne Jackson when we're, we're reflecting on her work spanning more than five decades. Tailfair Museums in Savannah will exhibit a 50-year retrospective of her work. It's called Suzanne Jackson, Five Decades. But for our radio audience who can't actually see, I'd love to just ask you some parts of your life um, mm-hmm. about you know what you've done. There, there let, let's say the layers, the layers of your life. Um, you graduated from San Francisco State University, moved around a lot as a kid. You were in St. Louis, what uh, San Francisco, uh, Fairbanks, Alaska. Then you moved to L.A. in the 1960s, but you've, you'd already toured with a modern dance company, so living a really creative life. This was when racial tensions were at a super high pitch. You know, we think Watts riots in 1965. You opened a Gallery, Gallery 32 in L.A., 1968. So what inspired you to open a gallery? Actually, I was a ballet dancer, and I toured with Music Theater USA. Uh, from It started, it began with uh, Sacramento music, music Circus. And from California, and this is, these are the things, the nuances that I've understood, because this is also a generational understanding of time and how people approach uh, the past, and so this is the reason I'm happy to have a younger uh, group working with mm-hmm. this on this exhibition, because uh, I toured, and we toured from California. You tour through Mexico, South America, and then back to the States. And while I was in Latin South America, I saw the differences of well, first of all when we stopped in um, Venezuela, Caracas, there was a television team with black technicians and cameramen. We didn't have that in the States in the 1960s. And coming back to the United States, uh, having left San Francisco and the whole uh, Vietnam War was happening then, the uh, human being, I arrived in San Francisco just in time for that. Then I moved to Los Angeles and there was the big love in. And I lived in Echo Park and uh, the studio spaces or the places where I had studio were sold or rented. And I was looking for a new space. And I found this beautiful building, the Granada Buildings, that reminded me of the La Alhambra Hotel in Montevideo. And I thought, I've got to have that space for a studio. So I was not planning a gallery. I was looking for studio space. That's what I understood that I was supposed to do as a painter. And also living in Los Angeles, the distance was so great to get to ballet class that um, my emphasis was always to become a painter and it's just something that, you know, I knew that I wanted to do. Well, as a result, 
Uh, someone had told me that I should take class from Charles White. Oh, who the, great just, Charles, uh, the great painter yes. Charles White. I mean, there have been Momo retrospectives of his work. He's a very well, important Well, I was there in New York for his retrospective. For 50 years, we actually attempted to, we were trying to uh, have a retrospective of Charles White's work. So during this whole period, while well, I had um, what my studio space became, Gallery 32, because David Hammonds and I were both in Charles White's class, and Alonzo Davis, a number of artists were in his class. And when David Hammonds saw the studio space that I had, he said, oh, you should make this a gallery. You should let us have a show. And uh, I actually ended up uh, inviting some a friend from college and some other artists. Timothy Washington was one of the first artists to have an exhibition. And then the word of mouth and people would come in with work, and we just worked as a kind of uh, free group of artists just putting on, using the space and having exhibitions. And one of the exhibitions that I suppose has become very well known was Emery Douglas, who was the artist for the Black Panther Party. That exhibition was actually for the children's breakfast program mm -hmm. and for the to free prisoners. And we did an exhibition of works by the students, the children at the Watts Towers Art Center, and then also some fundraisers for the Black Arts Council. So basically, we were... Um, there were we were the artists who weren't being shown by the uh, at that time supposedly establishment right. of artists, right. and now almost all of us will we've been, we've been in the exhibition um, that uh, that started at the Tate called Soul of a Nation. Uh, Art in the Age of Black Power. That exhibition started at the Tate Museum in London. It went to Crystal Bridges, and then it was at the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Museum, and now it's at the Broad in Los Angeles. The Charles White retrospective uh, started in Chicago, went to MoMA, New York, and then it is in Los Angeles. And then along with that exhibition is an exhibition called Life Model Charles White and His Students. So there are 40 of us in that exhibition, which was like a reunion. And what I did not realize was that Charles White had started uh, teaching at Otis Art Institute in 1965. So I had already graduated from San Francisco State with a BA in painting and toured South America. And I guess I was one of the early students, um, African-American students, who was in his class in 1968 and David Hammonds in the class. So, And I discovered later the other students, uh, African-American students especially, and many others. Actually, the wonderful thing about his classes was that everybody in Los Angeles was alerted that this wonderful teacher was at uh, Otis Art Institute. So I didn't realize at the time that I was one of the early students in his class, and others uh, actually took his classes in the 70s because they were already registered at other universities. So we're actually really proud to be students of Charles White. But also I reread, people were saying I was influenced by his, um, you know, his uh, mentorship and social um, activities and responsib community responsibility. But I was reading through some of the research that was done on my life, I attended Monroe High School. I was born in St. Louis, Missouri. Let me just tell you, Suzanne, we just have half a minute left for you okay. to wrap up. I'm, I'm so sorry. Okay. Obviously, you have a whole life worth of work <laughs> and so many people that you've worked with. And of course, people can see a lot of that on display at yeah. the Telfair Museum. But before you leave, you know, obviously visual arts, your first love, but I want to know which gift could you not live without? Visual arts, theater, costume design, dance, poetry, writing, radio? 
I will always be a painter, and I will always be, I will always be a visual artist. And I really invite everyone to come to see the exhibition. The, um, all the team that's worked on the show has been quite incredible, and it will be a surprise for many people uh, who will be able to see the history of my life as well, and that relates to the work and the progression of that work from six through 60 years all the way uh, to my first paintings when I was a little girl. And like a great artist, giving yeah. credit to other people, too. That's wonderful. Yeah. Suzanne Jackson, thank you very much for speaking with us. Thank you so much for allowing me to share this. Suzanne Jackson, a woman of many talents. Her work is going to be at the Telfair Museums in Savannah from June 28th until October 13th. It's called Suzanne Jackson Five Decades. And if you are in Savannah tonight, you can meet her at the opening program and reception for the retrospective. Details at gpbnews.org. Coming up, a conversation with one of our own, Rosser Shemansky, soon-to-be retiree and former drag queen. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.